All right, with your, in your Bibles this morning, look with me just for a few moments in the book of Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. I will ask that you stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. I've got four points this morning. I've got a, a little bit of an introduction to set the stage of what I want to minister this morning on, and uh, I think this scripture is befitting, uh, being that we are Pentecostal. I hope we're Pentecostal. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. I'm reading out of the New King James. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues, or cloven tongues, and King James says, as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Father, this morning we're so thankful for this house. We're so thankful, Father, for the leadership and the pastoral staff, God, that you have gathered, God, and knit together in this place, God, to lead this church, God, into the next phase, into the next level that you have for them. Father, I thank you that you have ordained, God, this ministry for this season in this area, in Galena, Kansas, God, to touch the tri-state area. We believe, God, that... uh, Though we may have come through a pandemic, God, and it has shifted some things and it has has shaken some things and shaken some people, God, I believe it has shaken some loose ends off that we didn't need. But I believe that, God, that you're going to begin to tighten the ship. And, God, you're riding it. And, God, there's a fresh wind blowing of the Spirit. May it catch a hold of new sails that are erect this morning that saying, God, I am, I'm ready to receive from you what you have for us in this new season that you've brought us in. We're thankful for Josh. We're thankful for the pastoral staff. We ask that your blessing be upon them, God, and upon this church and all they endeavor to do, God, meet every need. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide. So we thank you for miracles, God, today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. You could be seated in the house of the Lord this morning. Just for a little bit, I want to preach on the thought inflection point. Look at your neighbor and say inflection point. The inflection point, and here's what I want to really just kind of focus on. Inflection point, significant changes in church history. Inflection points or significant changes in church history. Now, I'm going to define what the word inflection point means because it, it, there's business terms, there's mathematical terms, but I want to bring it down to what it really represents in the spirit and what it represents for the church, the body of Christ, and the importance of it. The word inflection point is a mathematical term. It means this, a point of a curve at which change in the direction of the curvature occurs from convex to concave. Now, convex means a, if you were to look at a football, that is a, that is a, con, that is a, uh, 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 a convex, like a football. Everybody get that idea, that, that image? And, and so the concave actually means uh, inward turn. If you were to think of an hourglass that cuts in. That's the curvature, the change that takes place. The curvature of a football, the curvature of an hourglass, those are the changes. And it's a mathematical term, so it helps you to understand what I'm talking about. In the terms of a business term, it is this. It means a time of significant change in a situation or a turning point. Everybody say a turning point. How many knows that we serve the God of the turnaround? 
And I know that we've went through some things and some changes and some things have looked kind of bleak and things have looked kind of, and, and, and you kind of look around and you say, we've lost some things and lost some people and, 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 and some people have lost perspective and lost priorities, but, but that's okay. Let God do what he needs to do in the season in which we are because God's still in charge and there is going to be a point in change that's going to happen. And when it does happen, it's going to be significant and it's going to be dramatic and it's going to be a God-given moment in time. Amen? So I want you to keep that in mind. So it's a significant change in a situation, a turning point, a point, listen, a point at which a major or decisive change takes place. I like this definition. It means a critical point. Everybody say a critical point. In church history, it means this, a point in which a significant or critical point, a shift has occurred that changes the trajectory of the church. Well, that was a place for you to shout right there. Let me tell you something. I, 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 and again, I just want to reiterate. We've gone through some changes. You have gone through some personal changes in your own life. Apart from just the changes that take place in church setting and church dynamics and church styles and church people and church things and church programs and things come and things go, things are lifted up, things fall apart, things fall to the wayside. And that's just the, that's just the nature, as we say, the nature of the beast. Change, there's one thing about change, change always changes. Why do we struggle with change so much? Because we don't like change. We like things consistent. We like things uh, predictable. But what happens when you get things predictable, you become familiar. And familiarity leads to contempt. You see, when you get familiar with things and people, and you get familiar with God, and you get familiar with the things of God, you begin to get a sense of contempt. Like God can't give me any more than what I already know. Come on, somebody. You know I'm preaching right at you this morning. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Amen. But I feel the winds of change beginning to blow. I, I, I don't, I, I'm sure that some of you probably, if you're in tune with the Spirit, if you're, if you're a person of prayer, if you're a person who is in tune with hearing God and getting in his word, you can see the dynamic shifting beginning to be. There is a shifting and a sifting taking place. We've already seen it begun. It's still continuing to happen. And people have become alarmed and shocked that, oh my, I can't believe that person did that. I can't believe this person left us. I can't believe this. I can. I can. Because people are people. People are fickle. People are given to change. And that's why we got to hear the mind of God and hear the heart of the Spirit because He who never changes has a plan. And in the midst of the shift that's going on, in the midst of the shifting and the sifting, what is happening, I believe that God is beginning to reveal everything that is fake. Everything that is man-made. Everything that is religious, 
and not based upon relationship. Come on. And in this shifting, in this sifting that God is doing, God is, God is radically shaking people to the core of their life. And you probably have seen it. You have maybe even have felt it in your own life. I'm not saying that everything that you've experienced has been uh, uh, of, of God, but I do believe that God has been in control of everything that's happened to you. There is an adversary of our soul. There is an adversary that is against the church. There's an adversary against ministry. There's an adversary against everything that is a, that's opposed to God. And we sometimes in the church, because we, we just kind of get in that mode of religious thinking that we think it can't happen to us. It won't happen to us. I'm too spiritual. I'm too this. But I can tell you this, the more spiritual you get, the more attacks that you will receive. And so there is a shifting, there is an inflection point that God is bringing the church to. I don't want you to forget the meaning of the word inflection point. It means that some point you come to a critical point in your life. You come to a critical point in decision making. You come to a critical decision, you come to a critical place that either you can change the trajectory of the way things are or they can continue on the same way. And I believe the church God is bringing into a place of we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of some things. And I'm going to prove it to you through Bible history and through recent history that we have experienced in Pentecostalism that God has always had people on standby. God has always had somebody in the closet. God has always had somebody that's in the cave that may have felt alone, but God is preparing them, and God is speaking to them, and God is pouring into them. And he's, There's some people that God has got in the backseat that nobody knows about, and, nobody, and everybody ignores and don't think they can contribute. I'm talking about the big toes and the little toes of the body. Come on, somebody. And God is preparing them and God is raising them up and God is maturing them. And something is beginning to stir in their hearts and they're saying, I'm tired of just living my life the way that I've always just lived it. They live, but they're not living. And so God is beginning to, God is beginning to stir. Like Elijah said, oh God, I'm the only one serving you. And he said, ah, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, Elijah. I've got 7,000 that has never bowed their knee to Baal nor have kissed him. You see, in the season in which we are coming to, God is looking for cleavers and not kissers. We got too many kissers in the church who kiss up to the world who kiss up to the bells of life, who kiss up to the hierarchies of influencers and never really making a decision based upon what God has put within them. Ah, oh, but there's a change beginning to happen. God is bringing the church to an inflection point. God is bringing us to a critical moment in time in which we as a body of believers, have an opportunity to change some things if you're willing to make the step. Are you willing to make the step this morning?
Amen. So I want to just kind of give you some history this morning. And these are stories that we're all familiar with, but it's good to be reminded of some of the people that have went before us and have beat down the bushes and have have been the pioneers of our faith, who have been the pioneers uh, of the moves of God that we have experienced in Pentecostalism. For an example, Martin Luther. We all know Josh is big on Martin Luther. We know Martin Luther, who was a German professor of theology and a priest and author and composer, a monk ordained to the priesthood in 1507. He rejected several of the teachings and practices of the Roman Catholic Church, especially indulgence. He posted to the door of the church in Wittenberg the 95 Theses and started the Protestant Reformation, which many Catholics, Roman Catholics have even transferred and come over to the Protestant religion or the Protestant faith or the, the freedom of Catholic Catholicism. Martin Luther was outlawed and excommunicated from the church. But I want you to understand, he knew something. There was a point in time where he began to start saying, wait a minute, something ain't right. Some, when I read the scripture, when I understand the spirit of God, it tells me something different from what I've been taught. And all of a sudden, something began to stir in the heart of Martin Luther, and he came up with those 95 theses, and he posted them to the door. In fact, they sent out a pamphlet, and they sent out uh, to other churches all around that region, and it caused, a, it caused such a stir, and it caused, yes, it caused controversy. It caused persecution. He lost his place in the church, but he never lost his place with God. What happened is Martin Luther came to a critical point in history, not only in his life, but he came to a certain point in the history of the church, and he said, something has got to be done. And he stepped out by faith, and he posted those 95 theses, and it got him in trouble. Oh, but guess what? You're one of the reasons why you have the freedom of religion, that there is a Protestant, it means to protest against the set religion of of Catholicism of those days. And Martin Luther was one who spearheaded that movement. You see, it only takes one man to make a difference. It doesn't take a whole church. It just takes somebody in a church that's willing to say, I'm willing to be different from everybody else. I'm willing to do what others are not willing to do. I'm willing to pray the price. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to be excommunicated, if that's what I mean. That means if you don't like me, that's okay. It's all that matters is that I have his approval. And God is bringing, I believe that God is still raising up Martin Luther's in the world. Are you going to be one of them? You remember the gladiator games when the gladiators would fight in the Roman Colosseums? They would fight to the death. Oftentimes they would fight beasts, lions and tigers and bears and things like that. They would fight. Most of the time, gladiators would be pinned against gladiator and they would fight with sword and spear, knife, dagger, whatever they could get of the whole club. And they would kill one another. And that was a sport, and thousands of people would gather together in the Colosseums and cheer on their favorite gladiator and watch the fight and the blood would spill and the ground would turn red from the blood of the gladiators that would fight and they would watch it all day long. Telemachus, who was a monk, who 
felt in his spirit that God had called him to go to Rome. And he said to himself, and he said to God, God, I have, no, I have no desire to go to Rome. I know what's in Rome, and I don't want to be a part of Rome. God, I don't want to go to Rome. And he kept feeling that spirit draw him, saying, go to Rome, go to Rome. I, I called you to Rome. And he would fight it and say, God, I don't want to go to Rome. I know what's in Rome. I don't want to go to Rome. I want to stay here. And so finally, him yielding to the spirit of God, and he walked. And he came to, to, uh, to Rome and he came and found himself among the crowd going into the Colosseums to watch the gladiators fight. And there in the midst of the gladiators, he watched them, these uh, gladiators who were battling out and fighting. He ran down into the Colosseum, into the arena and got between two of the gladiators and he cried out and he said, Christ forbid that you do this, stop it. And the emperor is there and they're watching the games and of course it begins to get quiet and, and the fighting is still going on and Telemachus who was a monk who was God has called him to Rome and he founds himself in the midst of two men who were much bigger and stronger who were men of battle, men of war and there they're fighting to the death and he stands between them and he says Christ forbid, stop this. And on the third time when he said, Christ forbid, stop this. One of the gladiators running through with a sword. The crowd become deathly silent. As they watched the life of Telemachus' blood pour out on the ground and they watched him, this little monk, who tried to stop these gladiator fights from going on. And he cried out, Christ forbid, stop this. And when the third time he said that and he fell to the ground and his blood poured out on the ground and the people watched him die in silence, the, uh, the history tells us that one by one, people got up and began to walk out of the Colosseum. Three years after his death, the emperor outlawed gladiator battle and it was forever stopped in 404 B.C. What am I saying? What am I saying? I'm saying 404 A.D. What am I saying? Is it Telemachus heard the voice of God call him out of his comfort zone? Out of his place that he was grew, grew up, the place that where he ministered, the place that he was familiar with, he hear, heard the Spirit of God say, go to Rome. God, I don't want to go to Rome. God says, go to Rome. He said, but God, I, there's nothing in Rome for me. But how many knows that God knows what he's doing? Even though you can look at a place and say, God has nothing for me there, but God has a work for you there. And he got up and he obeyed the Spirit. And then he finds himself in the midst of a battle he did not know that that day his life would end, his life would be a sacrifice. But what a sacrifice that it was that he, in that moment, in that inflection point moment, changed the trajectory. And it set in the hearts of the people, we are no longer entertained by the blood of men being spilled in an auditorium for our amusement. And the, and the emperor finally deciding three years after his death because he could not get over the fact that this man, he kept hearing in his, vo his voice, in the name of Christ, forbid, stop this, forbear, stop it. And he had that inflection point moment in which everything changed. Could you be a Telemachus this morning? 
Could you be one who was willing to say, God, I'm willing to remove out of my comfort zone where I'm at, where I'm comfortable, where I'm not making no waves, where I'm just happy to go along, to get along. I'm just happy to go to church and pay my tithes and sow a few prayers and go home and do it next week over and over and over. And we go through the same routines over and over and over, revival after revival, message after message, and we're touched, but we're never changed. And God is looking for some Martin Luther's. God is looking for some Timolimicuses that's willing to put their life on the line to say, I'm willing to see something dramatic take place in church. Not for me. But there's a generation growing up who knows nothing about God. Statistics say that the young generation that is, that's growing up in church without their parents because their parents allow them to do whatever they want to do. By the age of 18, they walk away from church and they never return. That is an indictment. That is a crisis in the church. When we can't even get our own parents to come to church, but yet we want our children to serve God. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. You know I'm telling you the truth. I can hit you and run. Josh can take care of it when he gets back. <laughs> The Azusa Street Revival, <laughs> led by William Seymour, a blind African-American pastor in Los Angeles, California. He and along with seven others on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles, California, began to pray and were filled with the Spirit. Three years into the revival started on April 9th, 1906, and continued until until 19. 15. The revival started as a result of a spontaneous move of the Spirit of God on William Seymour and seven others who began to simply pray and ask God to do something awesome in their life and in their community. So you see, folks, it doesn't take a whole lot. It doesn't, it's just, we got to be willing. We've just got to find ourselves just like they are, just saying, God, I'm a willing vessel. I don't know how you could use me or why you would use me, but God, here I am, use me. God is just looking for some Elijahs that are willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Some plant, some water, but it's God who gives the increase. You see, if you just do your part, if you just, if you just, if you just find yourself like these men and find yourself desperate enough to say, God, here am I. If nobody else wants to do it, lay it on me. Give me the burden. Give me the passion. Give me the desire. Give me the drive. Give me the finances. I'll do it and I'll go and I'll be the voice and I'll be the vessel that you want me to be. Are you hearing me this morning? I believe that God is trying to get in Galena, Kansas and Joplin, Missouri and uh, Oklahoma and, 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 and wherever else is around here. God is looking. I believe God is looking at a church. He's looking today at this church. Well, but Brother Pennington, we're not full. It don't make no difference when I'm look, looking at those who are not here. I'm preaching to those of you who are here that God has got his hand upon you. I'm talking to you. God has anointed you. God has equipped you. God has got you at the right place at the right time. Why not you? Oh, God, put it on Brother Engel. 
Put it up on you. Oh, God, put it on Brandon. God, let him do something great. God, put it up on the youth pastor. God, put it on the praise team. We're always passing the buck. We're always wanting somebody else to do for us what God has been desperately trying to get us to do because we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. Mark chapter 2 says, And it was noised that Jesus was in the house. The Bible says he was in the city of Capernaum. The word Capernaum means a walled city called comfortable. I'm telling you, when it's noise that Jesus is in the house, mm, what's comfortable becomes uncomfortable. I don't want you to just sit there and say, oh, just what a wonderful little sermon. Or oh, that was okay. All right. I want you to walk out of here, not because I preach it, but I want you to hear the, can you hear the Spirit of God who is drawing you and calling you, saying there's more, there's more, there's more you can accomplish, there's more that you can do, and this place can be filled. It can be filled, and it will be filled. Right out of this city, Galena, Kansas. What was his name? Is it William Parham? One of the great revivalists of the early turn of the century who put, basically put, I never heard of Galena, Kansas in my life until I heard about him. Is it a city of, of what, a couple thousand if that big? Maybe? I don't know. But you know what? It don't make no difference where you're at. If God can move you, if God can move you. Hmm. Dr. Larry Lee went to Wall, Texas. Wall, Texas at the time was nothing. He thought God told Larry, Dr. Larry Lee, the one who wrote, Can You Not Watch With Me One Hour, the series about prayer. He went, God told him to go to Wall City, Texas, and he's, there's nothing in Wall City, Texas. But God called him to go to Wall City, Texas at the desert place. But he went to Wall, Texas, and he started a church. And God began to bless, and God began to draw people from all over. And they started moving there because they didn't want to have to travel so far. So they started moving there. When they got so many people started coming, guess what? They had to put a, they didn't even have a, tra, tra, a traffic light. They had to put up a traffic light because when everybody got out of church, it was a congestion, so they had to put up a traffic light. Well, if someone got the idea, hey, when they get out of church, they got to have some place to go to eat. Guess what? They opened up a restaurant. Someone says, well, hey, man, they got to get some gas to get home. I'm gonna put, and they opened up a gas station. Well, someone said, well, I, they need this and they need that, and I, I'm just going to move there. And guess what happened? Out of that place, that, that Wall City, Texas, from a desire of a man spoken to by God to open a church, the, city, the, 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 the church grew to 5,000, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to a desert. In the midst of a desert, God built a city. Uh, because somebody was willing to get out of the comfort zone and be at a, at a certain point, at a certain time to bring a dynamic change. And that's what God wants to do here. Let me tell you something. You've got the right church. You've got the right staff. You've got the right pastor. You've got the right people to get it done. You don't know what you got. I'm telling you, you don't know what you got until it's gone. 
So you better hold on. So I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to, Jesus, help me. So there's always been those moments in history in which it has defined or redefined and, or changed the trajectory of history. We read from Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. And what the, between those two books was what they call the 400 years of silence. 400 years in which God never spoke through a prophet. 400 years in which there was no angels coming and announcing anything. 400 years in which God never spoke. There was, you talk about a dark time. You talk, about, you talk about desperate moments and desperate times and people and the darkness. God never speaking for 400 years. They had what God had said in the, in the, in the Old Testament. They had some of that. Yes, but, but that 400 years in which God, there's no prophets coming. At least not that we read of. And when God breaks the silence, the Bible says, <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Isaiah prophesied, they that sat in darkness have seen a great light. For unto you is born in the city of David a Christ, the child, the Messiah. Oh, when God breaks the silence, it was an inflection point in which God began to change the trajectory the way things are. And I'm telling you, there's some people that are living in some dark times. There's some people that are living in those 400 years of silence, if you will. And it's up to you and I to be the ones who breaks the silence. <laughs> Come on, someone. I know we just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Come on, somebody. And when Jesus came, that silence was broken. And when Jesus' birth came, an inflection point taken place in the history. The Messiah, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Christ, the Messiah, a turning point. Jesus grows up. Jesus starts his ministry. The Holy Spirit falls like a dove on him. Behold the Lamb of God. He goes out and he begins to work miracles. He begins to start his ministry, turning point. Inflection point, church history changing. When he died on the cross in his inflection point, it was a dramatic change in the trajectory of things. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. On three days he got up. On the third day he resurrected. It was a turning point. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It was a turning point. I'm here to tell you that God is still the God of turning things around for your life and for your church and for every situation. God wants to do something so awesome in this place. It would blow your mind if God was to tell you. I think he even said, I'm going to work a work in your days. Though it would be told to you, you wouldn't believe it. I believe that sometimes God holds things to himself so that he don't shock the pants off of us. So we would just, oh, that's crazy. God just holds off a little bit until you get to that point where it's, it's do or die. I'm at a critical point in my life. I'm at a critical point in my, in my walk with God. I'm either going to just drift away or I'm going to, I'm going to get refired. Either God's going to bring new wind in my sail or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to park it in the dock. And God doesn't want you parking the boat in the dock. There's still fish to be caught. We pass the fish on the way to the aquarium. <laughs> How many fish did you pass on your way here today? 
How many houses did you pass people that you saw on the street that don't know God? They need to be reached somehow, some way. And you may be the reason why God has put you where you are. You say, I don't like the street I'm on. May God have, may have you there for a season because somebody there needs you. Come on, son. I don't like the city I'm living in. God has you there for a reason and for a season. Find your inflection point. Find out what God made you to be. Amen. Let me quickly give four things. And I'm going to move through these very quickly. Number one, I believe that God wants to bring us, the church, into an inflection point. And here's how I believe that we can experience an inflection point in our own life and in our church. When I say our church, I not only mean here, but I mean my church, churches everywhere. I think it has to start somewhere, and it starts at the basics. I believe it starts with we got to get back to where we find the altar again. We, 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 don't, we, we, don't, we, don't have any, we don't have too many people that are willing to bend their knee and pray and seek God and intercede and find the heart of God and, and pray till you pray through, but we're through praying. We're through praying, but we haven't prayed through. We want a Mickey Mouse prayer. We want a little bless me now and my forward and no more and don't ask too much of me, God, and I just want just, just enough prayer to make you feel good and make me feel good about what I've not been doing, what I should have been doing, but I, I just want to just, just, just talk to the Lord a little bit, but that's all right. And I, and I, I hope that you do start there, but, but you've got to get to a point where I believe that God is calling us to a place of prayer and repentance. We still believe that, don't we, in the Pentecostal church? We still do believe in coming to God and saying, God, I, I forgive me, I've blown it. I've sinned. It's not a mistake. I sinned. Call it what it is. Be honest with yourself. If you're not in the place where you need to be with God, just say, God, I'm, I'm lost. I'm undone. I, I, I'm in need of a Savior. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. Forgive me. Because if the church can't get it right, don't you point your finger at anybody else who can't get it right either. And if you're not willing to pay the price, and if you're not willing to lay it on the altar and, and, and stay there until you get victory, get deliverance, get sanctification back in your heart, you can't go on to the promise. Last week I preached a message called a third-day church. And it's interesting, if you look up the Bible, the number three, we represent, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, uh, the threefold, uh, uh, threefold cord is not easily broken uh, the third day. If you look that up, it is interesting that it always has to do with life and victory and deliverance. Joshua, the Bible says, came to the brink of the river, and the Bible says they, they stayed there three days before they passed over. And Joshua sent the people throughout the camp, and he says, sanctify yourself, for tomorrow God will do great things among you. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to do great things among us as a body of believers, but it's going to take us getting back to sanctification and holiness and purity of life. If you want to see a dynamic shift happen in the church, let us get back to repentance. Let us get back to holy living. Let us get back to holiness. It's still the only way to live. I know it's not popular. And I know people are going to look at you and say, oh, you're a Jesus freak and you're, you've gone too far and calm down. But no, 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 no. If you, see, if you want to be a history maker, you've got to be willing to go all the way, baby. There may be some folks that you may have to cut off. I love you, but i got to cut you off because you're holding me back. I love you and I'm going to pray for you. 
And I'm going to intercede for you. And I'm going to be friendly to you. But honey, I can't wait on you no more. I've got to go. I've got to be what God called me and told me to do. Is there going to be persecution? Yes. That's just a given. And but the Bible, and I won't go into it because it's too lengthy. But the Bible just says that where there is persecution, the spirit of glory rests upon you. I believe the church is coming into a season of persecution like we've never seen before. But don't be alarmed because the spirit of glory is going to rest upon the church. We're going to have, we're going to, there's, an ex, there's, a, there's a level of glory from God that we, the church, have not experienced because we have not been persecuted. Oh, I'm not talking about someone saying, well, I don't like your tie. Or, well, I brought colored toothpicks to the wedding and no one put my name in the church bulletin board. And then we get upset and offended over the littlest things. What are they going to do? What are you going to do when they going to when they going to put you in jail or they they going to they threaten you or what or bodily injury? What are you going to do? Oh Jesus, take me! No, you got to get bold. Peter and them come back. They said, "Man, praise God!" They beat us. They talked about us. They put us in jail. I mean, I got stripes on my back where they laid me open, but praise God. God moved and and we just pray that God continue to give us boldness that we may speak the word. Hallelujah. Number two. I'm I'm trying to hurry up. We must elevate truth above personal preference. I'm going to say that again. We must elevate truth above personal preference. Well, I just don't like the way they worship. I just don't like the I, I want more hymns. I want more contemporary. I want more courses. I want more... I want the, and it's all about we want a style. We want a certain style that fits me. And worship and prayer is not about a style. It's not whether we fast or slow or two songs and a fast song and a slow song and a fa- or three courses and a, and a poem. And a, and a, no, 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 no. We get all hooked up in that. You see, your idea of church and God's idea of church is two different things. You just got a preference. You just got a style that you like. (laughs) But it doesn't equal truth. And we got to get back to the in a place in the church where truth is spoken. And we live in the truth and the reality of what pleases the heart of God. Amen. God has no style. Make a joyful. Just make some noise. If it's a grunt, if it's a if, if that's all you can get out, if it's just a half mass, give it to him. Come on. So we must elevate truth. Not only just truth, but the truth of God's word. It, and I know it, it is preached here. We got we, we to be lovers of the truth. Listen, your priorities reveal your heart and what you value. I, I've, I've just got to the place where I'm just, I guess, bolder, especially coming through what we've went through with pandemic and I don't care whether you're vaxxed or unvaxxed. 
It don't make no difference to me. It is what it is. I don't condemn you if you get vaxxed. I don't condemn you if you're unvaxxed. You wear a mask, wear a mask. Just take off the one before you put that mask on. Be real. But I, I, I have got to the point where I just, I begin to call people out. And it's, it's come down and I'm like, oh my God. Where'd that come from? And I don't do it to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't do it. Well, brother, I, I can't come to church because you're not socially distancing. And that same person goes to Wally World who has more people in there than they do in the church, who's breathing each other's breath, touching everything that they've touched. You know I'm telling you the truth right now. I'm not saying that, the, I'm not saying that COVID-19 isn't real. I know it's real. I know it's real. I don't believe it's as bad as what they say it is. I'm not getting political. I'm just, I'm just, and people, I can't come. But they, but they go to the soccer field with their youngster. They go to the, they go to the movie house. They sit among the stadiums of thousands of people in ball fields. But they can't come to church. We are at a critical point in the church history. <laughs> Someone's got to make up their mind. I just believe God. I just believe God. So with priorities. Listen, your priority does not equal truth. Or your priority does not determine truth. Truth determines your priorities. And you see, when we get people, of, we're, when we're lovers of truth, it defines and redefines our priorities. <laughs> Come on, somebody. When you fall in love with Jesus, like you really should fall in love with Jesus, it'll change your life. Amen? So truth determines priorities. Your priorities do not determine truth. And let me close with this. On the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place, all in one accord. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat on them. I asked the Lord one time I was reading, I said, Lord, why does it say that it sat on them? I, they were filled. We know that. It, it infilled them. But as Bible says, it, it sat on them. And it's like the Lord says, you don't get it, do you? And I said, well, I, I understand. But yeah, you feel him. He said, he said, it's sat on because he planned on going no place. He came to stay. The Holy Spirit, when he came, he doesn't leave. When, when we walk out of the church, he isn't going to be here waiting on you to come back Sunday night. When you leave Sunday night, he isn't going to be in the church like, uh, I wished it was Wednesday so I could jump on them people. He sat on them because he came to dwell with them. He came to inhabit. He came to fill. He's with you always. And there was an inflection point happening in this moment in time. Jesus had left. He went back to heaven. And he said, wait for the Spirit to come, the promise of the Father. 
And they prayed for 10 days. And in 10 minutes, 3,000 people get saved. They prayed for 10 days, preached 10 minutes, 3,000 people get saved. Wow. We now preach 10 days, pray 10 minutes, and nobody gets saved. But the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, the, the moment in which the inflection point, the change began to happen, the critical moment of history when the Spirit fell. I'm here to tell you, I believe that we, if we're going to be a church of today and a church for the history of this humanity, we've got to be people of Pentecostal experience. And I know you've got a pastor and a pastoral staff who believe in the power of the Spirit, but we have got to get into church where we are hungry again for the move of the Spirit of God within our individual lives, but also not only in our individual lives, but also in our church services where we allow the Spirit of God to do and direct and move as He desires to move. And if He rearranges the circumstance, and if He rearranges the service, it's okay. I'm not bent on a program. I'm allowing the Spirit to flow and move because He flows through willing hearts. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have become Pentecostal in name and not Pentecostal in experience. That's my greatest fear that, God, I don't, I don't want to live and say I'm Pentecostal and not have the Pentecostal experience. Pentecostalism is just not about running around speaking in tongues. That's the initial evidence. That's the initial evidence that you've got it, that it's real, that it's here, that you know that's what the Bible says. I believe that. How many still believe that? The Holy Spirit is given as Jesus. If you read John, G, G, he, he comes to bring, bring life and he says he'll bring conviction and he'll, he'll bring guidance and he'll bring comfort and he'll lead and he'll glorify not himself, but he will glorify me. And everything he'll bring back to your remembrance, everything that I said. We need the Holy Spirit active in our churches. We need our pastors filled with the Holy Ghost. We need our leaders filled with the Holy Ghost. We need our prayer people filled with the Holy Ghost. We need people full of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that once we begin to hunger and thirst after that, I believe that God will send us a significant change in the trajectory of the way things are. Amen? So today you got to decide. I'm tired of waiting on so-and-so. I'm tired, on, I'm tired of the promises that's been made that ain't been kept. I've got to decide for myself that today I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the John. I'm going to be the Elijah. I'm going to be the Moses. I'm going to be the Nehemiah. I'm going to be the Cyrus that God has put within my spirit to do something. And here's what I want us to do. I want the pastoral staff, care team come, if you will, and I want you to stand up here and I want us to pray together. And I'm going to offer the church as many that will who you feel the call of God Pulling, you feel destiny pulling you, saying, God, there's more. There's got to be more. I want to do more. I want to be used of you. I want a fresh wind of the Spirit to blow through my spirit. I want a fresh wind of the Spirit to get in my sails. I want to move forward. I want to move beyond. Let me tell you something. Some of you need to move beyond what was said to you. Some of you keep rehearsing over the things that have been said to you by somebody who didn't like you or who was jealous of you. 
who misunderstood you, who didn't like you, and you just need to lay it down. You need to cut the string, baby. They ain't here, so why are you? They're here because they're in your head. You ought to start paying them rent because they're taking up space up here. It's time to cut it. I'm telling you what, you, when you do that, you're going to walk in freedom. There's people that you think you need that you really don't need. Come on. I know you look at your Facebook and say, see if they responded about what you said. You're in bondage. You're waiting for the thumbs up. You're waiting for the comment. You're waiting for to see what they said because you want their approval. You want their likeness. You want to create an atmosphere where they'll like you again. I don't care if you like me or not. I'm moving on, baby. This, this train ain't stopping. I ain't stopping for stragglers who don't want to get on board. That sounds mean, don't it? No. Jesus, the Bible says he wouldn't commit himself to the people because he knew what was in their heart. Sometimes Jesus just walked away from people because he knew what they were all about. They were there for the meal. They were there for the miracle. They weren't there for Jesus. They were just there to get what they got can get. Some of you need to make up your mind. It's time to move on.